Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This podcast contains explicit language. Al Franken is resigning, which we boldly predicted would happen. But what does it mean for partisan politics? The Supreme Court took up the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. Sam Baker from Axios tells us about the oral arguments. And Donald Trump declared that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Why the hell did he do that? I'm Elise Foley. And I'm Arthur Delaney. And this is So That Happened, the HuffPost Politics podcast about things that happened in politics. Serving in the United States Senate has been the great honor of my life. I know in my heart that nothing I have done as a senator has brought this honor on this institution. Nevertheless, today I am announcing that in the coming weeks, I will be resigning as a member of the United States Senate. I'm Elise Foley, and I'm here with Arthur Delaney. Hi. And Marina Fang. Hello. And um, we are going to talk about the big news uh, that Al Franken, the Democratic senator from Minnesota, ha- uh, has announced that he's going to resign. He's going to step down um, in the coming weeks, he said. And he went on the Senate floor, and it was kind of an interesting speech. He sort of said that he hasn't done the things that he's been accused of in terms of um, groping women. Uh, That's been the main thing. There's been a bunch of stories of him uh, trying to grab people that didn't want to be grabbed or kiss people, didn't want to be kissed. Um, He said he didn't do any of that and remembers these situations differently, but that it's, you know, important at this time to listen to women and he is going to get out of there. So, it was interesting. It yeah. was interesting timing. He kind of buried the lead a bit in his speech. He didn't really get That's to the... That's what politicians I mean, do. true, but he did sort of... It was interesting how he did that. But anyway, yes. That, okay, that's fair. What caused it to happen was this uh, political story with, I think, the seventh person to say that they'd had an unwanted... Eighth, actually. There's, there's oh, okay. an eight yeah. now. Yeah, well, so after seven, I believe... It's so hard to keep track of all these numbers, but after seven, I think, was when a bunch of Democratic senators who are uh, women Democratic senators, came out and said, we think that he should resign. Right. And that was also because um, this particular allegation, this woman um, who used to be a Democratic aide, told Politico that he attempted to justify his behavior by saying, quote, I'm an entertainer. And it's you know, my right as an entertainer. Right. It's my right as an entertainer. And obviously there's the some... word right in there. Yeah. And also... It kind of mirrors some other very familiar comments we've heard from a certain person when in the you're a Oval star, Office. They let you do it. Yeah. One of the other things that was interesting in Franken's speech is that he brought up that it was ironic, uh, which is true, that he's going to be leaving 
at the same time that Alabama is uh, voting next week and potentially sending somebody who has been accused of various uh, creepy behavior toward teen girls um, to the Senate. And also there is somebody in the White House who has been um, accused by multiple women of sexual harassment and assault. So here's that clip. I, of all people, am aware that there is some irony in the fact that I am leaving while a man who has bragged on tape about his history of sexual assault sits in the Oval Office, and a man who has repeatedly preyed on young girls' campaigns for the Senate with the, with the full support of his party. But this decision is not about me. So Democrats are obtaining moral high ground through Franken doing this, through John Conyers resigning. The irony, as Franken put it, it's uh, the difference between what the t- how the two parties are handling these accusations is incredibly stark right now. And for a while, Moore and Trump defenders had been saying, well, you've got Franken, you've got Conyers, so nothing really matters. We don't have to throw out our uh, sex assaulters. And that dynamic is now gone. Which is kind of prob- – well, I – I don't know, but I would guess is uh, kind of the point of forcing them out is so that they can keep that moral high ground. And so they're willing to, you know, we'll kick out our guys if that means that we can continue to hammer on Roy Moore and Donald Trump. And draw this line showing like, hey, look at us. We're we're not tolerating this, at least in our party. Well, yeah, it, it happens also to be the right thing. If you say this is intolerable behavior, you don't tolerate and yeah. then those per- those people got to go. It's good to not be hypocritical. Yeah. Uh, but it's weird to see it. Uh, you know, Republicans recognize this and Republican strategists sort of struggle with it. And uh, on Twitter and, and on the Internet, you'll see people say things like, oh, well, Democrats are coordinating their efforts to strategically acquire the moral high ground for electoral purposes. And it's grotesque in a way, but true. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the question, right, is if – is like so what like if the end result is something good which is you know them sticking to what they say which is that people shouldn't be in these offices if they've been accused of these things even if they are doing that for political reasons uh the end result is good right yeah politicians do all sorts of things for political reasons that's why they do everything right and, and that's cynical i shouldn't say that uh get rid of roy moore if you don't like it yeah. He's awful. If you're mad that Democrats are taking the moral high ground, like you can join them up there. Yeah. If right. that's where you think the high ground is, go there. Go. Go up. S- say what's not what's right and wrong. And there you are, up there on the moral high ground. Re- Republicans, while this has been happening, have gone in the opposite direction. Whereas right. you know, they initially said Roy Moore is unacceptable. They not only changed their rhetoric, they started throwing money at him. To help him win the election. Yeah. The RNC is now back in the race after saying we're going to pull out our money. Now they've apparently decided it's okay. Uh, I think also because Trump has now officially endorsed Roy Moore. And I think that gave the RNC some cover to get back in there, which is, I mean, it's not surprising that Trump endorsed Roy Moore. But I do worry, and and a lot of people have written about this, I do worry that it gives Republicans basically... Like, maybe this is this is it. You know, this is 
This is how we win now. Right. It's a, yeah. We're at this point of no return. No, nothing matters. Yeah. Nothing well, matters. Yeah. Well, it, it is interesting, though, because although they have kind of obviously the president has uh, endorsed him and the RNC has given money, they haven't been super full throated about it. Um, they even they were saying like, oh, the check was only fifty thousand dollars or something, which, yeah. um, you know, maybe isn't that much money in the scheme of these types of campaigns. And even uh, McConnell and Paul Ryan um, have still said that they think that more is bad. McConnell said, OK, well, you know, clearly he's not going to resign and it's up to the people of Alabama to decide. Right. But then later when people kind of confronted him like, oh, are you going back on what you said before? He said, well, he still, you know, I still I'm just acknowledging the reality that that's the situation we have. Once he gets to the Senate, we'll look into him. Paul Ryan said that he uh, still thinks that more should step down. So clearly some of them do think that it would be a bad idea and that it is, it is a bad idea to just decide that, no, we're just going to fully embrace this, this creepy dude. I wonder if people will get used to it and it will stop becoming an issue. It seems like that's kind of what the uh, the you know general Republican strategy is that, okay, well, Hopefully we can just win and have our senator. But or I, just it's, that it's if all... somebody denies it, then it's fine. But my, yeah. I feel like people aren't going to let this go. I mean, Roy Moore's case is super extraordinary. Maybe it is the case that Donald, Donald Trump's transgressions have not been as much in the news as they were last summer. But I can't imagine reporters in the U.S. Senate where you're constantly interacting with senators just – dropping it. It seems like it's going to continue to be a problem. Or, or am I being overly optimistic? I I don't know. I still think this is all political expediency. I mean, they've realized, okay, like we can't... They're, they're, earlier there had been these rumblings of like, oh, maybe we'll get a write-in candidate or... Well, they did that. They did get a write-in candidate. I mean, that, that I mean, yeah, you could still do that. Yeah. But ultimately, it seems like They've accepted, well, he might win and we want this to be a Republican seat and we're just going to just deal with it. So you're saying that they're, they're, it does appear to be that they think people will kind of forget about it and move on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm just very cynical that this will there, make a difference. There have been a couple of cases where a Republican senator had engaged in you know, a, a apparently unacceptable behavior like Senator David Vinner from Louisiana was on the D.C. Madams list oh, yeah. and there was Scott Desjardins came out there before he was a congressman also from Louisiana I think uh, that he had pressured a mistress to have an abortion he's there uh, you know Vitter served out his term Desjardins is still around no one really talks about that anymore Tim Are Murphy there, from Pennsylvania similar case where he pressured his mistress to have an abortion but then he resigned he did resign so I mean a lot of it is voluntary right like or not really voluntary. I mean, you you face pressure from your colleagues, but it's like ultimately the, ultimately the decision is yours. And so in these cases where there are elections, it's, you know, if the voters don't care enough or don't see it as the ultimate issue, then they'll still vote the person in, right? Like that seems yeah, to be what's happening. Say, okay, well, the voters decided and the voters said it's okay. So I guess it's fine. So if they found a person who individually has no shame whatsoever that person can just continue yeah i mean i think the thing with more though is that there'll be other things that republican leaders will probably 
if he becomes a senator, uh, not like him over as well. They're not, you know, they weren't fans of him before. Oh yeah, he's had an incredibly wacky career yeah, that has so, been overshadowed by his uh, and possibly yeah. now, uh, if he becomes a senator, all of the uh, allegations will be overshadowed yet again by some sort of crazy behavior in the Senate. So, I think we should revisit. Our bold predictions. <laughs> At the end of last week's show, we made some bold predictions about what we thought was going to happen. With That's right. We made just, predictions uh, yeah, about, so. about Franken and Conyers. What did we yeah. say? Do we have uh, any bold predictions? Then? Bold predictions. Um, well, Franken stepped down. These, they're starting to pile up. They're really starting mm. to pile up with yeah. him. I think that he'll resign. <laughs> yes, that's bold. I think bold. Conyers will resign. Those are bold predictions. Those are my bold predictions. I, I second, They're probably wrong. I second I, those bold predictions. I don't know. I was about to say that by the time listeners hear this, there will probably be me, be more alleged sexual predators revealed. That's not a bold prediction at all. That's not like, bold. That's, that's <laughs> that, probably wow. going to happen. <laughs> that wasn't bold at all, Marina. Bold at all. Oh. Wow. Well, Marina, your your prediction wasn't bold, but it was true. I mean, there, there were a few people uh, who ca- yeah. whose transgressions came to light over the last week. Uh, no doubt, by the time listeners uh, hear this podcast as well, there will be have been more. Yeah, I mean, I can keep making that prediction. It's not bold. Also, but- I would like to point out that we have had this is our like recurring sexual misconduct segment on this podcast. Yeah, it's the so that. Creepy behavior happened. Yeah. Elise Foley, your bold prediction was so right. I know. I wish that I hadn't said at the end I'm probably wrong, but that's okay. That was just a, you know, sadness. Um, probably. Yeah, I don't think people even hear that. All they heard was the boldness. Wow, you nailed that. <laughs> it's my first time being bold. I, and I, being my, correct. I just seconded I feel good it. about it. Yeah, that was awesome. Well, we're winners. Yeah, we're winners. All right. Well, thank you guys. Um, and I'm sure we'll be able to all discuss this again. (laughs) (laughs) Our recurring segment. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, it's me, Arthur Delaney, and I have a special request. If you like So That Happened, please consider giving us a shout-out on iTunes. Give us four or five stars. Please don't give us fewer than four, though. Uh, Think of us as like an Uber, but for political commentary. So if, if we get a low rating, they'll take our car away. Thank you.
And we're back. This is Arthur Delaney, and I'm joined in studio by my colleague Elise Foley. Hello. And Sam Baker, who covers the Supreme Court for Axios. Sam, hello. Hello. It's great to have you here because we've had some incredible Supreme Court action with the justices taking up a case over whether the Masterpiece Cake Shop should have baked a cake, a custom cake, for a gay wedding. This cake shop said, no, we won't do it. It's our free speech not to do it. And the offended gay couple sued him, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court over, what, two years? Uh, at least, yeah. So, Sam, first of all, please explain the underlying case a little bit before we get into the Supreme Court oral arguments that happened Tuesday and which you attended. Sure. Uh, I mean, you you pretty much got the gist of it there. Uh, same-sex couple walked into a bakery in Lakewood, Colorado, said we're getting married and we want one of your cakes to be our wedding cake. The uh, owner of the store, his name is Jax Phillips, said I will not bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. I'll sell you something off the shelf, but I won't go make a custom cake. Colorado has a law on the books that makes it illegal to discriminate against people on the basis of you know sort of the usual ones, race, gender, religion, also sexual orientation. They felt they were discriminated against based on their sexual orientation. Clearly. No, not clear. (laughs) Not clearly enough for it to be resolved anywhere before the Supreme Court, I guess. So is is the case over the facts of what happened with this wedding or was it the a question over whether the state law is constitutional. It's sort of about the the conflict between his religious belief and this non-discrimination law. But then he kind of put another little spin on it, right? Because if you said for example, I have a store and I sell briefcases and my religion says, you know, women should stay at home and so I won't sell a briefcase to a woman. Sorry, but you can't do that, right? That's just clearly illegal discrimination. So in order to sort of get out of that, he's kind of put this spin on it, the baker, where he says, I'm not just selling something. I'm an artist and I am doing an artistic expression when I bake a cake. I love that. This is my creativity. Like their briefs go through all this, you know, the cake is his canvas and really play up this angle. So then it becomes not just a freedom of religion issue, but a free speech issue. Because now he's saying – you, the government, and telling me that I have to serve these people are forcing me to make an expression to say something. So I, I so the issue, right, is that it's kind of could be a slippery slope on both sides because yeah. on one side you could say, no, this is an expression and that means that you know Jewish bakers have to make a cake with a swastika on it if somebody right. asks them to. Um, or on the other hand, you could say uh, that it is and that means that you know everybody can just say, no, I – won't do hair for your wedding because you're gay. I don't agree with it. Yeah, right. So, so is, it's both sides are you know, this could go could have a big impact and that, the way they go. And that was really the crux of the arguments this week. Um, Justice Kennedy, who's the swing vote here, like he is in everything else, was asking a lot of pretty much exactly what you just said questions on both sides of that coin. Um, he was concerned at one point. You know, if we rule for the baker, can people just put up a sign to save themselves time that says we don't serve gay couples here? And he was thought that would be, uh, as he put it, an affront to the gay community, which – Duh. Uh, yeah. Didn't, would be. didn't the yeah. attorney say, yeah, they could put yeah. up a sign? Yeah. No uh, shirt, no shoes, no gays. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an offensive sign. Yeah, not great. They'd lose a lot of other business, I think. 
probably yeah, so. Yeah, why would yeah. you do that? Anyway, yeah. so, so what were the other things Kennedy Well, so then on the other about? side, then uh, John Roberts asked, okay, the, the Catholic Legal Association, they provide pro bono legal help if you, like, have a dispute with your landlord or whatever, like, sort of, you know, they won't be your lawyer, but little things they can help you with. Obviously, the Catholic Church objects to same-sex marriage, so he wanted to know, well, could a gay couple, if they're having some legal, they need help with their license or some little legal thing, does the Catholic Legal Aid Association have to facilitate this marriage that it doesn't believe in? And, you know, there's sort of— What do the lawyers say about that question? I mean, that's a question that every good lawyer at the Supreme Court just tries to get out of. And, you know, that's not the question before you hear. There was kind of some bad lawyering all around. Oh, no. In this case. Yeah. (laughs) It was surprising because this is the biggest one of the— the term. When you're a court reporter, the reason to focus on Anthony Kennedy is because he's the one who he's the swing voter who could determine the right. outcome of the case. Yes. And it sounds like he did not betray very clearly which side he was favoring. Yeah, I think that's right. Um I mean, he has been going all the way back, not just the big gay marriage ruling in 2015, but all the way back to when the Supreme Court said um, you know, anti-sodomy laws are unconstitutional. It's always been Kennedy and the four liberal justices. Who those justices are have changed, but that's always been the majority. So this is kind of his area. He is the leader on this. He's written all the decisions, not just been in the majority, um, but he's also really big on free speech. So this is sort of a contradiction for him. And that played out in his questions. He was concerned about both sides. So I think, you know, some people I think are overreacting to this. He was sympathetic to the Baker. Like that's how I would put it. He kind of saw where the guy was coming from. He was concerned. Well, we do have to respect speech and religion. But he is also still the guy that wrote all these other rulings. Was it Kennedy who who pointed out that Colorado had not been nice to the baker? Yes, it was. And why does that matter? I... It ma- he was concerned. I mean, Kennedy's – one of Kennedy's just major concerns in the world is people's dignity. Um, that was a big theme in the, in the gay marriage ruling in 2015. Uh, and he was sort of concerned that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had not taken the baker's religion seriously. One of the commissioners had made some comments about like, you know, people have, have fallen back on religion to excuse all kinds of horrible behavior and discrimination against black people and women and, and all of this throughout history, which is true, but also some people are good people and just are religious, you know, and I don't think he felt like that kind of got a fair enough shake. So is there any way to just that they could just get out of making a broader ruling by just sending it back and saying, hey, you guys didn't do a good job with this, Colorado, uh, and do it again? Yes. Okay. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if that's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Seems easier. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yep. What sort of what, – what would be a more wide-ranging ruling like if they, if they did one, what kind of effects could this case have so that they don't chicken out and just kick it to a lower court or something like that? I mean, if they rule widely for the baker, then probably what's going to happen is they're going to have to go through every wedding vendor, which is a lot of people, you know, okay, is a caterer an artist? That's the only way you could really rule for the baker, right, is to say he's an artist. So, okay, photographer probably would be. Is the caterer? Is the you mean state you know, legislatures would have to, uh, or just explain in the this? in the courts, or in the courts, yeah. yeah, or some combination of the two. So that's a lot. Uh, and if they rule really broadly 
against the baker, then you'll probably get more into cases where you have kind of like that hypothetical that Roberts laid out, right? Like where you have some – does a church have to hold a same-sex wedding? Conservative commentators sometimes refer to this as bake-me-a-cake liberalism and they envision a dystopia where gay people are just forcing bakers to make them cakes all the time. But how often does this happen? Like how often are couples like dissed by – florists, photographers, and bakers. It seems like, you know, if one wedding vendor doesn't work out, you can find another. There are lots of them. And is, and is that an issue for the court, uh, like access to these services in places like Colorado? It is, but it's another one that kind of cuts both ways. Um, so uh, one, of, I think it was Justice Sotomayor asked about, okay, what about military bases? They're isolated. There's not a lot around. There's probably only one place to get a cake. What if you're in the military? You can serve openly now. You want a cake. That baker refuses to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. What do you do? That's your, you know, you can't just go to another baker. So I, I don't think we really know exactly how often this happens. I mean, so when, when that happens, I would it flares say it's up. A, yeah. It's enough of a concern for people that there are whole, you know, websites and yeah. – resources for uh, gay couples to figure out what vendors are accepting of gay couples. So, so. The, But the lawyers, were, it doesn't sound like that they were able to provide some sort of uh, definitive uh, documentation of how frequent this is or, you know, uh, cake deserts or, or things like that. Like, <laughs> it, it seems like we don't – it seems like it's unclear. Uh, it's difficult for them because – part of the reason is why because it's unclear how often this is a, a serious problem for people planning a wedding. I think Elise is, is right. Like it, it happens enough it happens to enough. take it seriously and that's, that's good enough for them. Now, um, some of the commentary uh, – people were just observing that there were interesting discussions on the finer points of you know, what is art and what is food. Yes. <laughs> and like and, – and Justice Alito said something – what was it that he asked about architecture? Um, he, this was just a fascinating thing to watch when I said there was some bad lawyering earlier. So as we talked about, there's this whole debate about is a cake art, right? And so the, the baker's attorney was up, she was being questioned and the liberal justices were just trying to pin her down on that question and say, you know, food is for eating. It's not, you don't put a cake in a museum. Uh-huh. Uh, and sort of going through, you know, well, then is this art? Is that well, art? Wedding, let's talk about like just wedding, art cake for, uh, wedding cakes are kind of for eating. <laughs> They're right? kind of for just, yeah, just You do just want to have a nice looking cake. Like that is the main point of one, isn't it? I, we didn't have a cake at our wedding. And covering this case, I was like, we are still married. Right? <laughs> 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 like, this is the symbolic expression of their love and everything. Yeah. <laughs> With the, we had pie. <laughs> well, what's the artistry of it? Did you cut it? the pie though? No. That's interesting. You had an interesting wedding. Um, Pie is better than cake. Yeah, but obviously I agree. What is the artistry of the cake? Is it like the little, the bits of icing on there? Like happy wedding in. I mean, because the issue is that this one was supposed to be custom. Yeah, they wanted a rainbow cake. Okay, in other words, that's you know I could not produce that right if you put me in a kitchen. I would imagine that that's difficult. You're going to yeah. – different colors of icing, possibly with gradients as the one yeah. color changes to another. And then two little male figurines. That's not so hard. That's probably doable. But so anyway, they talked about this stuff. Yes, yes. So the liberals were trying to pin down the, the baker's lawyer 
you know, food is for eating, right? It's not art. And Alito jumped in to try to throw that lawyer a lifeline and said, well, a building is primarily to work in or house people in, but architecture would be protected speech, right? And the lawyer just like threw that life raft right back and said, no, in this context, architecture would not be protected speech. So like, but she should have said yes. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, this standard now is a cake that you do ultimately eat would be artistic expression, but like the empire state building is just there. It's and says the nothing. Yeah, that, that's weird. Yeah. It's the place that to go seems inside. Like an easy yeah. One. It's just for people to work. Um, oh. so that was, that, it was just the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no other way to put it. But what that, was the reaction? Was he uh, was Alito kind of like? Uh, yeah, Alito was like, uh, okay, I guess okay. we're done with this. And then uh, Breyer, who's a more liberal justice, came back and was like, uh, sort of a weird standard. If let's make bold predictions, okay. Um, Elise, who's going to win? I have no idea. I think. Uh, this one just seems like there are so many people on both sides that are like you can just look online. There's op-eds from either direction of people being like, I support gay marriage, but, you know, I do think that he shouldn't have to make the cake and people being like, I'm like, it's just all over the place. Um, my bold prediction is that they'll just kick it back to Colorado and say that they need to be, you know, have dealt with this better. I agree. I hate to check it out, but that is actually my prediction about how this will go. I think they'll say these proceedings weren't fair and kick it back and just. How do they even do it again, though? Because, I mean, this couple is already married now. Yes. Um, They just kind of the specific facts of these cases fall by the wayside once they get this high up through the system and it just really becomes about the principle. So they'll kick it back to the Colorado Supreme or the Colorado Commission. And like even if they maybe they'll decide they can't hear it again and they'll just wait. Another case like this will get to them later, and they'll just deal with it then. I predict that the Masterpiece Cake Shop will make this couple a cake just to be nice. I think that ship has sailed. I think you're <laughs> yeah. um, you'll, I'm, you'll I'm, I will we'll take see. that bet. Right, yeah. well, it's not called a bold prediction for nothing. <laughs> uh, Sam Baker, thank you so much. My pleasure. For joining the podcast, Elise. Thanks as well. We'll be right back. And we're back. This is Arthur Delane, and I'm joined in studio by my colleague, Elise Foley. Hello. And my other colleague, Akbar Ahmed. Hi. Akbar, you're a foreign policy correspondent, and that's why we need you to help explain what's going on with Donald Trump saying that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. This is a hugely controversial. At the same time, it's something that everyone is familiar with and uh, is always on the verge of being declared. Do I have that right? Yeah. I, I mean, it's a very, it's a big issue for a couple of, like, two big reasons. Uh, one is that uh, Jerusalem is important to Christianity, Judaism, Islam, for many various reasons. In Islam, the prophet uh, is thought to have ascended to heaven from Jerusalem, and that was sort of part of his process of becoming the religious icon he became. 
The second reason is that Jerusalem, once Israel was established, was divided into East Jerusalem, more Palestinian-controlled, and West Jerusalem. This goes back to 1967 when Israel went into East Jerusalem and now controls it. So even that element of Jerusalem, which was supposed to be part of this shared, you know, the sign of amity and peace between these two peoples, is Israeli control. So there's no question. Jerusalem is effectively Israeli. It's not Palestinian. Um, Trump has come out and said, we recognize it as Israeli, which is Palestinians see as giving legitimacy to that claim and to basically saying, you can invade whatever you want. And the worry for Palestinians is uh, the two kind of islands of land they still have there, Gaza and the West Bank. In the West Bank, uh, in particular, Israel supports a settlement policy where mm-hmm. They encourage uh, Israelis, Jews from all over the world, others to go and kind of start encroaching slowly on Palestinian land. So the Palestinians are like, okay, today you are blessing 50 years ago their invasion of our half of the city. Tomorrow they will slowly take over whatever piece of land we have left and you'll tell us, well, too bad. What is the- so it's a big symbolic right. move. It matters for that reason. In a long run kind of way. What is the U.S. policy on settlements? U.S. Uh, officially does not like settlements. Right. Uh, the U.S. does not actually do anything to stop settlements, um, like, you know, limiting military support to Israel or anything else. But, uh, you know, Trump has not reversed that. There was some thought because he appointed a U.S. ambassador to Israel who is very pro-settlements. Uh, so there was some su- suggestions that he would endorse them. He hasn't done that. So, but the uh, saying Jerusalem is the capital of Israel's symbolically is symbolic, but also suggests that there could in the future be more explicit support for the actual encroachment of territory. And it and it goes away from what's been the the narrative, uh, even if it's sometimes a hollow narrative, which is that eventually there will be two states. And that's officially what the U.S. still supports, even after the Jerusalem move. Uh, let's be real. President Trump has no idea about the implications of any of these things. However, he's setting uh, in motion a chain of events, and a lot of other governments and actors on the ground are going to act on that basis from now on. He said he would do this during the campaign, didn't he? Yeah, it's it's one of those things that a lot of political candidates say, especially Republicans, because evangelical Christians care deeply about this issue because of the Christian implications of Israel. Um, and he did it, you know, because he just he doesn't care about longstanding U.S. orthodoxy, and he especially doesn't care about the rest of the world. Uh, every other country, the French, the Brits, uh, other people involved in the peace process, American allies, have come out and condemned this. Uh, to Trump, not a big deal. And so is there a... Do we move an embassy there is an ancillary question. This is also like a, a very strange part of this decision. Uh, Trump has decided that the U.S. will build an embassy in Jerusalem. The U.S. already has a consulate on the embassy in Jerusalem. It hmm. could just cross out the sign and say this is now the embassy. Uh, but he doesn't want to do that. I guess he likes to build. So, like yes. building a wall. Yes. So apparently the U.S. is now going to build an Israeli embassy in Jerusalem. Now, there's been a re- you mentioned a reaction by allies. Yeah. W- what have they done? Have other countries said that? Okay, well, we'll we'll also recognize. No, other folks are condemning it. Um, particularly the Europeans. The Europeans are really invested in the peace process, uh, and I think we're going to see. This is the kind of thing that I think will backfire, particularly for supporters of Israel and for the Israeli government, because it it pushes Israel to become more hardline and maximalist in its demands, which a lot of other countries aren't willing to accept. Um, so it alienates them. And in general, it's just throwing kind of a, a new problem into 
the Middle East, right? Like kicking no. a, a hornet's nest. Absolutely. Like uh, Al-Quds, which is uh, kind of the Palestinian Arab way of describing the Dome of Iraq and Jerusalem. Al-Quds is a narrative and it's uh, the term used for everything from Iran's like paramilitary force across the region to a lot of groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. So this definitely helps folks with recruitment because, yeah, it's always been thought that America is whatever the great Satan, it'll betray Arabs and Muslims. Uh, this is great evidence of that if you're a recruiter for one of those groups. And that's the worry. So speaking of backlash, everyone said there will be backlash. And then, you know, sure enough, in within a few hours, there were TV images of people being mad. But how serious is the backlash really? I mean, the protests yeah. are not necessarily... A, a huge deal. Not that serious. And that's part of uh, why the Palestinians are so worried. Because in the long run, uh, even their supporters in the Arab and Muslim world, you know, even the Saudis, for example, you know, uh, technically the leaders of the Muslim world, they control the holiest sites in Islam. The Saudis oppose the policy publicly, but we've seen extensive reporting that privately Saudi Arabia said, you know what, go ahead. We don't really care. Huh. Um, Saudis don't care. Egyptians, everyone has their own problem. And uh, traditional powerful Arab countries like Syria and Iraq aren't as powerful anymore. So, so what I, I mean, so the tr- Trump has said um, it's been our foreign policy to almost do this for a long time, right? So I mean, con- it, Congress voted to do it. In June, yes. Yeah. And what, in 1995 for the first time? Yeah, and they just keep They've doing just it. Democrats. Pushed it back. Yeah. Six every six months, yeah. the president signs a waiver and says, "No, we're not going to do that." Democrats are in favor of it. Yeah. And so Trump said, "This situation, you know, this sort of conflict there, yeah. has been constant during that time." Yes. Yeah. Why not just do something differently, so that something different happens? Yeah. What about that logic? That's kind of, uh, I don't. It doesn't seem like the cleverest thing. But what about it? What what is what do you think of that? I think the best way to look at that logic is to think about an analogy. Okay, so like it's it's kind of like the Iran nuclear deal. The Iran nuclear deal is a deal between uh, five world powers and Iran, um, and Republicans are trying to torpedo it. That is one half of one branch of one government. Now, okay, it's the whole of the U.S. kind of two branches of government. You can't. That's that's not how multilateral you know peace processes and all this work. So while Congress might support it. The American Congress is one player in this whole huge process, and other players are going to do what they're going to do. So, for instance, if uh, there's a significant radicalizing of the Palestinian side, a deal becomes much harder to reach. So you might say, yeah, traditionally, this wouldn't make a difference. But now that you've done it, what other moves are people going to do so that your calculus has to change entirely? And Israel doesn't maybe end up with the most beneficial end. I'm, uh, but what about the the apparent, the, you know, the Trump's apparent concept of disrupt. Yeah. Like how is that possibly helpful? It, it on a superficial level, it seems like it's obviously not helpful to do something disruptive where stability is the is one of the top concerns. Right. So is it possible that it's disruptive in a helpful way or not? It depends on how you define uh, helpful, but I don't think it's disruptive in a way that will reduce conflict. No. So I don't think it's disruptive in a... You know, Palestinians' issues were not around just Jerusalem. And so Palestinians are going to continue to be angry, and I think they're going to get angrier. And so, no, I, I think that it'll become even more intractable. Why are evangelical Christians so obsessed with this? 
It, uh, it, uh, okay, go ahead. It's very theological, um, kind of belief in uh, Jerusalem's control and then the apocalypse, depending on who you talk to. So, you know, you'll, you'll have noticed in the television announcement that Trump gave, Pence was standing right behind him, yes. right? So sort of hand of God, you know, hand of God's chosen vice president and maybe president-to-be. Uh, this is important. Uh, this is important to them, and they've pushed for it for a long time. Uh, it's another example of how evangelical Christians, right, are not necessarily thinking about Christians in the region. Middle East Christians, Christian leaders in Jerusalem came out against this move, and it makes their lives a lot harder. Right. I read that there was a dimming of lights on Christmas trees as part of a protest. Right. Well, it's an easy kind of symbolic thing to care a lot about if you're very far away and the implications right. that's not going to really affect you in much of any way in the immediate future, right? If you're just an evangelical here, but if you're a Christian there, it's it's different the way you think about these things. It's very scary. Um, and, and a lot of Christians there, I mean, do think that the U.S. is not uh, is not even-handed, right, in the way it says it will be between Israel and Palestinians. How much is the apocalypse piece uh, really... How important is that really in the evangelical Christian view? I mean, I, it's an, the country is an ally. Israel is you know, the, a democracy. Yeah. So you can see for secular reasons why some people would, would want to be you know, more gung-ho about Israel. But what the apocalypse thing is strange. I've, I've read this a lot over the years but haven't studied it. And it has often seemed like too ridiculous to believe that people think the end of the world will be tangled up in, in this country. So – we should redirect our foreign policy uh, for for that you know ultimate outcome. I think the fact that it is too ridiculous to believe is one reason why it's not an explicitly stated thing, right? So you'll see a lot of explicit stuff from evangelical leaders, members of Congress, who'll say Israel a long time an important ally, you know, but they're not going to explicitly say here's why we think it. So it's important to, to think. To be honest, of, I'd never yeah. heard that before. Yeah. I will betray my ignorance. I oh, do it's not a thing. Know. It's a thing. Yeah. But, but it's, it's it's context, you know. It's it's the mood music more than it is the. Okay, so it's not something that's explicitly said. You know, maybe I'm referring to other to an uncharitable interpretation of what the evangelical no, motive a, it's is. It's a but, widely held view, yeah. but it's a view that's seen as quite radical, as you're saying, and so it's a view that um, no one wants to say we want to hurdle towards the apocalypse, right? So uh, we joke about it all the time. <laughs> yeah, look at Twitter. And, People are um, always saying we want the apocalypse. Okay. And what's striking about it is that the Israelis. Uh, don't care, especially right-wing Israelis. Right. Like, whatever your motivations are, the Israelis have embraced anti-Semites in Eastern Europe, and it shows you a lot about the craven nature of the current Israeli government as well. All right, well, hopefully the world won't end. Uh, Jared Kushner's on it. Jay, I know this is a classic Jared's on the case situation <laughs> where he thought, you know, the backlash will blow over in a, in a few days right. or so. Do yeah. we know, was he one of the people pushing for this? He was supportive, well, right? I think, yeah, he's supportive, and I think people forget that Netanyahu, the current prime minister of Israel, has been a figure in Jared Kushner's life for 20 years since he was a teenager, you know? And so any image of the U.S. being even-handed in this process is totally shattered uh, at this point. Akbar Ahmed, thank you so much for helping us understand this. Sure. Thank you for having me. All right, Elise Foley. Bye. Bye. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Zach Young. Our executive producer is Nick Offenberg. I'm Arthur Delaney. And this week we were joined by HuffPost reporters Elise Foley 
Marina Fang, and Akbar Ahmed, as well as Sam Baker, healthcare and court reporter for Axios. So That Happened is available on Apple Podcasts. Check out the whole family of HuffPost podcasts in the iTunes store. And while you're there, please give us a five-star rating or four stars, but no fewer than four stars. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, seriously email me at so that happened at HuffPost.com. I'll personally respond. Thanks to all of you for listening. And also thanks to Packers Fangirl for the comment she put on our iTunes page. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.